Memories and feelings fully intact, images of their life on earth will return to haunt them. They will think back to their friends, family, and relatives. They will brood over opportunities they squandered and intuitively know that their future is both hopeless and unending. For them, death will be far worse than they ever imagined. And so, my friend, while relatives and friends plan your funeral, deciding on a casket, a burial plot, and who the pallbearer shall be, you will be more alive than you've ever been. You will either see God on His throne, surrounded by angels and redeemed humanity, or you will feel an indescribable weight of guilt and abandonment. There is no destination midway between these two extremes, just gladness or gloom. Nor will it be possible to transfer from one region to another. No matter how endless the ages, no matter how heartfelt the cries, no matter how intense the suffering, your travel plans are limited to your present abode. Those who find themselves in the lower, gloomy regions shall never enter the gates that lead to endless light and ecstasy. They will discover that the beautiful words spoken in their eulogy bear no resemblance to the reality that now confronts them. If only their friends could see them now. I'm told that there is a cemetery in Indiana that has an old tombstone bearing this epitaph. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be, so prepare for death and follow me. An unknown passerby read those words and underneath scratched this reply. To follow you I'm not content until I know which way you went. In recent days I've conducted two funerals. The first was that of a Christian woman who had distinguished herself by a life of sacrificial service for Christ. The triumph of the family was striking. There was irrepressible joy mixed with the sorrow. But the second was that of an apparent unbeliever who was killed in a highway accident. The grief of the relatives was marked by desperation and hopelessness. They refused to be comforted. Well, you and I shall follow these two people to the grave. Unless Christ should return in our lifetime, we shall all pass through that iron gate of death described by Hamlet as the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. Thinking about our final destination gives us perspective. For a moment, just visualize a measuring tape extending from the earth to the farthest star. Our stay here is but a hairline, almost invisible to the length of the tape. Strictly speaking, no distance can be compared to eternity. No matter how endless we visualize eternity to be, our conception is never endless enough. Every one of us wants to make investments, wise investments, to get the biggest bang for our buck, as the saying goes. The best investments are those that are safe and permanent, and if we are wise we will spend our time preparing for that which lasts forever. What is life? but the preparation for eternity. Recently I read a tragic story about people enjoying themselves on the top stories of a tall apartment building, not knowing that there was a fire burning on the lower floors. 
Just so many are enjoying life, comfortably ignoring the fact that their death is not only inevitable, but much nearer than they thought. Though there are many uncertainties in our lives, we can count on this. Whatever we strive for in this world must of necessity be temporary. Indeed, this world and all that we have accumulated will eventually be burned up. The other day I was browsing in the travel section of a bookstore. Potential travelers were buying maps and guidebooks on Hawaii and Europe. Some were purchasing booklets to help them learn some phrases of a foreign language. No doubt they had saved their money, blocked out their vacation schedules, and purchased airline tickets. All that just for a two-week journey. I wondered how many of them were giving at least that much attention to their final destination. I wondered how many were reading the guidebook, studying the map, or trying to learn the language of heaven. Europe and Hawaii seemed so much more real than the unseen realm of the dead. And yet even as they planned their vacations, they were en route to a more distant destination. The purpose of this book is to study what the Bible has to say about the life beyond. Many who read it will be comforted, others will be disturbed, and everyone, I hope, will be instructed. I claim no special revelation, just a desire to accurately explain what the Bible has to say. So I pray that God will help me make heaven so inviting that those who are ready to enter will scarcely be able to wait. But I also pray that I shall make hell so fearsome that those who are not yet ready to die shall quickly come to trust the only one who can shield them from the wrath to come. Death, our enemy, can be our friend when God gives us the final call. We can be glad that he has given us a shaft of light to illuminate the darkness. Death is not a hopeless plunge into the vast unknown. So, what can we expect one minute after we die? Chapter 1. Attempting to Peek Behind the Curtain During the last few months of her struggle with cancer, Jacqueline Helton kept a diary. Her thoughts and feelings would become a legacy for her husband Tom and her 18-month-old daughter, Jennifer. In her diary, she wonders what death will be like, what clothes should she wear for burial. She thinks of her daughter. Who will love her? Who will put her to sleep? In her writings, she tells Jennifer that when it hurts, she should remember that her mother would have cared. Then she thinks of her husband and the needs he will have after she is gone. Finally, she cries out, What is the matter with you, God? My family is not a bunch of boys' scouts who can figure all these things out for themselves. You're some kind of idiot to pull something like this. Denial, anger, fear, depression, helplessness. All of these feelings erupt in the soul of those who face death. No matter that death is common to the human race, each person must face death individually. No one can endure this moment for us. Friends and family can walk only as far as the curtain. The dying one must disappear behind the veil alone. 
Understandably, Jacqueline was apprehensive as she faced the closed partition. She thought about the mystery that lay back of the shrouded veil. She wished for some insight, some glimpse into the future that would assure her that she did not have to be afraid. Yet neither her curiosity nor her desire to live kept her from slipping through the curtain and going into the night alone. Will she find herself fully conscious in some dark cavern seeking companionship but finding none? Tom Howard says that when we face death we are like a hen before a cobra, incapable of doing anything at all in the presence of the very thing that seems to call for the most drastic and decisive action. There is, in fact, nothing we can do, he writes. Say what we will, dance how we will, we will soon enough be a heap of ruined feathers and bones indistinguishable from the rest of the ruins that lie about. It will not appear to matter in the slightest whether we met the enemy with equanimity, shrieks, or trumped-up gaiety. There we will be. Well, naturally, we would like to know in advance what we can expect on the other side. Human nature being what it is, we grasp for some clue, some hint that we might glean from those who are about to cross the boundary. We are particularly anxious to hear a good word, the assurance that all will be well. When television actor Michael Landon of Little House on the Prairie lay on his deathbed, he confided to friends that he saw a bright white light and that this erased his fears and made him look forward to what awaited him on the other side. I'm told that he died calmly, anticipating what he called quite an experience. Reincarnation, altered states of consciousness, and glad reunions in a metaphysical place such as heaven are...